So on some level, I think we know this is how it ought to be. God made me to be more than just a bunch of flesh that lives, eats, suffers, and dies. You have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who might have missed the sermon can catch it later. This sermon was from December 24th, 2023. It was part of our Advent series, and this week the focus was on Mary. So this is Christmas Eve, and I I don't know what normal preachers preach about on Christmas Eve, but we're talking about Mary today, and my, my mind began to go as I was reading the passages, but also the sort of lesson plan or guidance that we were following for this month of December. My mind went in a different direction than I anticipated at first, and I was, I can't say I remember 1977 because I wasn't born then, but uh, as a piece of history, in 1977, a movie came out. Some of you were around. I don't know how many of you watched this movie when it first came out. Some of you probably missed it. It was a movie about a farm boy who lived with his aunt and his uncle out in the middle of nowhere. And the boy, or young man, he seems kind of to long for something more than just the life that he had. But his world is limited by chores, obligations, work. And then, of course, it'd be a really boring movie. If it stayed there, he learns that there is actually something much bigger than that out there. Beyond his world of experience, there is a giant battle going on between the forces of good and evil. He learns that he has a part of this, and then he is invited to join that battle against evil to be part of this huge thing. And most of you have maybe figured out by now which movie I am talking about It was fantastically successful at the time, and actually it still amazes me how popular this whole genre is now all these years. For my entire life, little kids have been running around with plastic lightsabers, and it's it's interesting that it is still going on. Just yesterday I was with some family members and they were passing out little figurines as part of our of our little Christmas party we were at, and Star Wars featured very prominently in them. And I'm like, this is old by now. I mean, I'm getting to be an old man, and this is older than me. But part of the reason I think it was very successful is that it, well, it captured the longing of a sort of an ordinary person to be part of something bigger, something much grander than just his own life. I think it captures this longing that many of us have to be part of a, the fight against evil, to have some role in this. And as I was thinking about that and pondering it, I was reminded of a conversation I had with Emily some time ago, and then reminded of a book that came out almost exactly 20 years after Star Wars hit the theaters. It was published first in the United Kingdom, and then a year later it hit the United States. It begins with a 10-year-old boy who is living with his aunt and uncle again. Maybe there's a theme here if you're taking notes about how to become fantastically wealthy. You Just remember these stories sell. You start with a boy and his aunt and uncle, and he doesn't get along with them, and he wants something more than just living in a cupboard under the stairs. As his 11th birthday appears, 
he begins to realize that actually there is a bigger world out there and he's invited into a new and larger community of people and he finds that he has a valuable place in the battle between good and evil. And some of you also know where this story comes from. It's part of a book. There's published a long series of them. They all turned into movies. I have not watched the movies. I have read the books. And I remember, as I said, after reading this first book, this was a long time ago. Emily and I were not married yet, so she was living far away. I was talking with her on the phone, and I said, yeah, it's an interesting book, but the thing that captured my attention is that I think it, it, it captured this longing that exists within almost all people, it seems like, and a longing that should be met within the church. We sort of look around our lives and we say, there's something more there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be somebody who cares about me more than what I experienced. There has to be some point to my life beyond what it was. And when we first meet Jesus and are first welcomed into the church, we should, we should be experiencing in real life what the character in this book experienced when he was invited into the new world of his special school. So that was on my mind because I, I think many people long for something more than the world they're experiencing. And I think that longing is, well, it arises because we're made for something more. And Genesis 1, which I refer to a lot, there's, it's a foundational section of our text, it says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it rain over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So on some level, I think we know this is how it ought to be. God made me to be more than just a bunch of flesh that lives, eats, suffers, and dies. And so we encounter stories of people who are invited out of that sort of small, bland life into something big and amazing and significant. Those stories capture us, and they sell well. And if you're trying to become very, very wealthy, start writing those stories. George Lucas and J.K. Rowling's are both well off by now. But today we're talking about, we're talking about Mary. So actually we're talking about almost the same story Except this one, of course, is true. 2,000 years ago, give or take a little bit, God invited a young woman to be part of something much bigger than the life that she had been living, and he invited her to participate in his plan in the great battle between good and evil. And this, of course, was Mary. We don't know much about her based on the customs of the time and the culture, the best we understand. We can, a lot of the people seem to guess that she was somewhere between 12 and 16 years of age when the angel first appeared to her. That's just a guess, but at least the people tell me that that's a reasonable guess. I don't know. I was thinking we have a number of young women in our congregation, some of whom are here and some of whom are not this morning, who are in this age range. So, Perhaps picture them in your mind to try to, to place this. Mary was probably in that traditional 12 months between when her engagement period started and when her formal wedding took place. So somebody, maybe 14, engaged, waiting to be married. And Luke writes, he had been first writing about Elizabeth, so, so he says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. 
She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King Jake, David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to figure out what the angel could mean. But don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I was thinking here, just as a small aside, I I kind of wish I knew for sure how old Mary was. If I knew for sure that she was 14, I'd be kind of tempted to, to preach a sermon kind of on a different direction, because I think sometimes our churches, just like our culture at the moment, sort of extend childhood and adolescence, and we forget to allow people to grow up. We say they're not mature yet, they're not ready, whatever, but God looked at Mary, and he said she is ready to take on this very significant assignment. She was highly favored, and God was with her. So for those of you who are 12, 14, 16, if if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord, you are ready to serve God now, to stand for him and to be part of his plan, to go to make disciples of people who don't yet know Jesus. You're ready to share the news of Jesus to people who are hurting. Don't let people tell you that you're too young, that you you still have to just keep waiting, that you need to be protected. God gave Mary a job. I think he's ready to give you one too. But anyway, I could go on. I could get excited about that, but that's not really the point because I don't know for sure how old she was. But whatever her age, he said, you will conceive, give birth to a son, you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So at this point, the people of Israel have been praying and waiting and hoping and begging that God would send a new king for about a thousand years. It's about a thousand years, over a thousand years since David. So they've been waiting and waiting, praying for a thousand years that God would send the king that they have been waiting and longing for. And now, after this thousand years of waiting, the angel tells Mary, the time has come. And even more than that, he tells her, you are going to be part of God's plan. So Mary asked a very practical question, it seems to me. She's like, okay, um, so what exactly do I have to do? I'm not married right now. And the angel said, don't worry about that. God is going to bring this about. He's used to doing miracles, just like he's doing with Elizabeth right now. And then Mary's response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And I don't know about you, but I I find that for years, perhaps, I have read this and I have sort of heard in my mind sort of a, a tone of, nervousness and acquiescence. Okay, God, you're in charge. I guess whatever you say, I have to put up with. And maybe that's because I tend to hear these words most commonly on Christmas during a children's play, and you have a little girl who's really nervous, and she whispers these lines, and, you, and maybe that has permeated my thoughts. I don't know. But I've come to think, I think I'm wrong here. I think Mary was very excited, and I'm not a good enough actor, but I think if I could deliver these words right, she was extremely excited 
Yes, Lord, I'll serve you. And please let this come true. I am so ready for this king, and I want to be part of this. Bring it on. So why do I think this? Well, two reasons. One is that, well, as I said, for a thousand years, people have been praying for this king. And the angel has just said, God's sending the king. He's coming. He's going to be like David, only a whole lot better. He's going to reign forever, and he's going to be your son. A thousand years of prayers were being answered, and she would be the mother of the king. So I don't you haven't been praying for anything for a thousand years, I'm sure, but probably many of you have something on your mind that you have been praying and praying and praying and praying about. If an angel came and said, yes, it's going to happen, it's going to happen soon, and you're going to be part of it, your response would be enthusiasm and excitement. And I think that's where Mary's was. But the other reason I feel this way is much, much more directly. We have Mary's own words. So after the angel left her, Right, very quickly, she went to visit Elizabeth, who was her relative. She gets there, and Elizabeth kind of confirms that what the angel had promised was indeed happening. Mary was now pregnant and carrying the future king. And at this point, Mary begins to sing a song. She says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So I, I don't hear somebody being nervous here. I hear somebody breaking out in joy, excitement. She's not saying, okay, God, I guess I'll submit. She's saying, okay, God, this is awesome. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. So I don't know. This is just a guess, of course. But, but I'm imagining Mary sort of metaphorically singing the song and looking across the Mediterranean to Rome and saying, Okay, Caesar, you're emperor now, but my son is going to take you down. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So I assume she had some fear and uncertainty mixed in. I mean, that would be completely normal and almost always how it is when God gives us some assignment. But I think she was also very excited. God was starting something very amazing and he had invited her to be part of that. She had thought she was just a poor young woman on the, in a small town on the edge of the empire, and she discovers, actually, she is a key figure in God's plan to finally defeat evil once and for all. And I think the point of my sermon is that God invites us all to be like Mary. Our roles are going to be different than hers, of course, but God invites each one of us to be part of his coming kingdom, the kingdom in which Jesus will reign as king forever, in which he defeats death, he saves us, he sets us free, he invites us to be part of that, and we should, I think, respond with that same enthusiasm that Mary had. Those of you who can write songs, I'd encourage you to write them. If you can sing, do so. If you play an instrument, play it with all you've got. And that way the rest of us can be drowned out as we participate. God has invited us to be part of this plan, and we should celebrate. But in some ways, I'm not, I'm not done yet. There's, there's a little bit more. You see, 
we are invited to be part of God's plan in his battle between good and evil. And that means, I think it means we need to fight this battle his way. And it appears it took Mary a little while to understand this. And that's completely natural. We don't know much about Jesus' life between infancy and 30 years of age. There's a little story when he was about 12. But other than that, we don't know. It appears it was fairly normal. At least it wasn't worth writing down. Nobody, nobody recorded anything about it. So Mary, I, I wonder if Mary ever felt impatient during this time. The angel had appeared to her. The angel had said, this, this boy who you're supposed to name Jesus, he will be born, he will reign, he will be a king, he's going to be like David. And, and so Mary's waiting, 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 and waiting, and he gets to be about 30 years old, and all this time, I, I don't know what Jesus did, but it seems like probably he did a normal job a lot of the time. And Mary, I, I wonder if she was impatient. It almost appears that Jesus' first recorded miracle in John was, was sort of something that Mary prodded him to do. And I wonder if at this point, Mary was like, okay, I got this ball rolling. Look out, Caesar. My son is coming. And then things didn't go as she expected. He went around healing people, casting out demons. And then in Mark chapter 3, very early in his ministry, we, we read that Jesus actually was telling people, don't, don't talk about me. Don't, don't mention this. How does this work? This guy's going to be king. He's going he's to reign. He's going to set his people free. And he said, no, no, don't, don't, don't talk about me. And well, after a few verses later in that same chapter of Mark 3, we get this story about how Mary and her other sons went to take charge of Jesus at one point. And it appears that they thought Jesus was actually having some sort of a mental breakdown. It doesn't seem like the story was going like Mary expected. And then in John 7, we get another little glimpse. We don't get many glimpses of these things, but in John 7, we get this other glimpse of a time when, when his brothers were like, wait, wait a minute here. You can't become famous if you keep hiding like this. And then, it's, then John says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. So Jesus came, he cared for the sick, he fed the hungry, he loved the unlovable, he told stories and parables about the kingdom of God, and then, then even this began to be a problem for the evil powers around him, and he faced his enemy in a final showdown. And I find myself thinking, well, maybe, maybe, thought, maybe Mary thought this, this was the point. You could sort of imagine the story. He goes through life, and finally he's confronted, and he stands there in this final showdown, and at that point he kind of flips his hood back, and you see the knight revealed and ready for battle. I don't know what Mary was thinking, but as she stood at the cross, I just wonder, we got that passage in John 19 to try to remind us of, of where the story was going, standing near the cross, where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, standing there waiting for Jesus to finally step up and fight. And Jesus actually won that battle, of course. And he won by dying on a Roman cross to set us free from sin. And he broke the power of death. He destroyed our enemy. And this is how God fights his battles. He took the evil upon himself so that we didn't have to take it. And I think so, so Mary's story reminds us that we are invited to join God's battle, to participate in his plans. 
He invited Mary to have an important role. He's invited us to have different roles, but I think very important as well. He has saved us from judgment and death. Certainly, I don't ever want to under, understate that. He has rescued us. He has saved us. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He's invited us to be part of this plan to save others. We're not just recipients of his grace. We're also then invited to be ministers of his grace to others around us. But when we join him, we must do things his way. So I like watching those original three Star Wars movies. They're fun and silly, and fun and silly is my kind of movie. If you're ever wanting to invite me over for a movie, go. that's your route. Don't go for intense drama or anything. So I like these movies. They're fun. But every time I watch them, there's a small part of me that is kind of recoils a little bit because in this fight for good, there is so much that gets destroyed. There's so much that is done away with and so many people who are killed. And it is, of course, fortunately, just a movie. But the world around us tells us this is actually how it has to be in real life as well. Sometimes the world tells us that, unfortunately, to fight for good, we have to do some kind of harsh and brutal, and I'm going to use the word evil, things. This goes on every day. There are people who I think are actually trying to fight for good, but who in that process do great evil, they do great harm. And they think it's the only way, and they they might say it's very regrettable, and actually some people don't even seem to find it regrettable. It's just how it is. So you you can pay attention to the news, local, national, international. You'll see what I mean. On some level, the world says it's necessary for us to do evil to bring about good. So I think in our, in our world right now, what we picture when we picture victory is something like this image here. And if you haven't watched the movies, this is the giant explosion at the end when all of the bad guys, except for the one needed for the sequels, die. And so that's the way, that's the way victory comes in the movie. And that's, that's the way we imagine it in our world sometimes, or that's what we want. And it's unfortunate that so many people died, but at least the bad guys were all killed. But our king fights his battles in a very different way, and his victory looks a little bit more like this. So Jesus died. He defeated evil without ever doing evil at all. He defeated death from the inside out by dying and then rising And actually, I think if we don't do it that way, we never really win. We might manage to usurp one evil empire, but we'll just end up replacing it with our own. The only way is God's way, because this defeats evil completely and permanently. I think over this year, I've read from Revelation quite often, but I want to again, this, this picture, we are part of God's battle. We are invited to be along with Mary, part of his plan to bring about the king who will reign. But he's a different kind of king in a different kind of way. But let's read, let's just remind ourselves, picture where the story is going. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes 
and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. The gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So all of us, kind of like Mary, we're invited to be part of God's plan of salvation, his plan to bring a king who will make everything right forever. Are we willing to participate? I hope so. I think actually we should be excited. We should celebrate that invitation. God is at work. He's inviting us to participate. And we should remember that the only way to victory is by fighting this battle God's way. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from December 24, 2023. Take care.